listening to the Bible 126 show. But uh, not, let's not leave it there. Let's have our dessert and get into the book of Ruth. Little book, The Romance of Redemption. It opens up in the days where the judges ruled. So this is not period. It's the ultimate love story that emerged, emerges out of this mess. At the literary level, it is widely venerated in colleges, just as an element of literature, apart from the biblical uh, implications. At the prophetic and personal level, it's a, a, a incredible gem. It has prophecy in it and also has personal implications for each of us. Strangely enough, even though it's in the Old Testament and the church is not visible in the Old Testament, this is one of the most significant books of the Old Testament regarding the church. And I'll show you why. One of the things it includes as part of the story is the role of this strange thing that in Hebrew they call the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. What is he? What does he do? What's that all about? And I'm going to suggest to you that this book is an essential prerequisite before you study Revelation chapter 5. You won't understand what's going on unless you really understand the book of Ruth. A little background. In the genealogies of the Bible, the tenth man is always significant. From Adam to Noah, we talked about that before. From Shem to Abraham is obviously significant. From Isaac to Boaz, he turns out to be the tenth uh, again. And so he turns out to be a very significant guy. He's going to be a type or a foreshadowing in a sense of Jesus Christ. And so the tenth man is always important. Now, the book of Ruth, the first chapter is about love's resolve, where Ruth cleaves to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Second chapter is love's response, where she then gleans on behalf of her mother-in-law because they're destitute there in Bethlehem. And then we have love's request. Out of this comes an opportunity. And there's this very misunderstood scene in the threshing floor we'll, we'll get to. And then there's a climactic scene which has some surprises for everyone in chapter 4. The redemption of both the land and the bride, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Ruth, for chapter 1. The famine, there's famine in Bethlehem, so Naomi and her husband Elimelech and their two sons, Malan and Kilian, go to Moab because things are better there. And in Moab, these two sons take up Moabite daughters uh, as wives. And uh, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi as a widow, and her two sons also die. Rather weird names, unhealthy and puny, apparently, is what the names mean. Um, speaks for itself, I guess. Um, Naomi's name means pleasant, and I'm going to suggest it means pleasant land, because she's going to turn out to be, in a sense, a type of Israel. But she's in Moab. She's in exile. And she's destitute. But ten years have gone by. She now hears things are better in, back at home in Bethlehem. So she's going to go back home. And her two daughters-in-law want to go with her. That tells you a lot about Naomi. The two daughters-in-law would want to stick it out with her. She talks him out of it. And one of them, uh, Orpah, uh, ultimately does return to her own people. But Ruth refuses. She's obstinate. And she decides to stay with her mother-in-law, and her testimony is worth quoting. Ruth said to, me, uh, to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also. If aught but death part thee and me. What a statement. And Naomi realizes she's resolute, so she yields and, and she goes back. So they go back to Bethlehem. You have to learn, uh, one of the reasons the book's of value, you have to learn some laws. One of them is the, is the law of gleaning. The rules were that if you had a piece of land, your reapers could go through once and only once. What they missed was left, was for the widows and orphans and destitute. That was called the law of gleaning. You'd go through once, 
but you weren't allowed to go back and skim it. That, that was what you inherently would miss belonged to the destitute. That's in Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 24, several places. So Naomi and uh, Ruth are destitute. They're back in the land, but uh, trying to make it. And so Ruth, being uh, younger, goes to glean. And uh, so they, and she happens upon the field of Boaz. I love that word happens. Uh, you know what the rabbis say? They say coincidence is not a kosher word. Or the way we see it, there's no accidents in God's kingdom. It turns out she happens on the one field that's going to change the destiny of the world. Boaz, by the way, means in him is strength. And it's a very interesting name because one of the two pillars in the temple are named Boaz for some significant reasons. We'll get there later. He's introduced to Ruth by an unnamed servant. And I'm fascinated. We're going to discover, of course, Boaz is in the role of the Lord of the Harvest. Ruth, of course, will end up becoming his Gentile bride. The unnamed servant is the one that introduces her to Boaz. And the Holy Spirit always is an unnamed servant. We went through that in Genesis, you may recall. Here it happens again. Jesus says, explains why. The Holy Spirit will never testify of himself. And when Boaz finds out that Ruth is there, he instructs, he, he tells her, if don't be in any other field, stay here. And I've, he instructs his young men not to touch her and also to drop handfuls on purpose. <laughs> in other words, to make sure there's plenty they miss that she can glean for, for herself and her mother-in-law. And so you begin to see there's uh, something going on here. Boaz will be, turn out to be the role of a goel. That's a Hebrew term meaning the kinsman redeemer. And he has some interesting... Uh, you have to, to, do, to get into this, you have to understand the law of redemption. And uh, also the law of Leverite marriage. The two other laws you need. The law of redemption was that if a person had to sell his land, that is lease it in effect because he was destitute, the next of kin could come and redeem the land for the family if he chose to. But he had to be able, he had to be willing, and he had to be able to take, he had to take all the obligations of the, the lost guy to do that. So that's what the, the, it, was a, it, was a, it was an option, an optional responsibility, so to speak, of uh, the law of redemption. The law of Leverite marriage is the one we talked about. That's where a guy, if a guy dies... His brother is supposed to take, if he can, take the woman to raise up seed for the, the, the dead brother. And so, the, the Leverite, the, so the, that's what the Leverite marriage was. Anyway, um, so in, in chapter 2, by the way, when, when uh, uh, Ruth comes home with all this stuff, Naomi smells a fish here. What's going on? And she, when she finds out that Naomi's been in Boaz's land, she re- Naomi realizes that Boaz is a kinsman. And she realizes here's an opportunity, not just for herself, but also for her daughter, who's been so faithful. And so she says, do it exactly as I instruct you. And you get to chapter, this all sets the stage for chapter 3, the famous thrashing floor scene. So see, Naomi recognizes the opportunity for the redemption of her land that she wants, but also for a whole new life for Ruth. So she instructs Ruth on what to do. So in accordance with the instructions, Ruth approaches Boaz to fulfill the role of the goel, and uh, what he does, what, he, what what happens, she tells her, see, the, the thrashing floor takes place on a saddleback where there's a wind all the time. And what you did at the end of the day, you took the grain that had been harvested and you threw it up into the wind, and the, the good stuff, the heavy stuff, would fall in the pile downwind a little bit. The, the light stuff, the stuff you don't want, would fall further downwind. If you did this right, you ended up with two piles. The one closer in, you'd bag for market, and the one further down, you'd burn to keep away vermin and so forth. But all this was done in the atmosphere of a carnival uh, a feast in the evening. So 
uh, when after the partying and the and all that, they uh, would sleep. But the owner of the of the material would sleep by the, and and probably his key guys would sleep by the grain so it wouldn't be stolen, and so it was an overnight uh, slumber party kind of thing. What um, Naomi tells Ruth to do: watch where he sleeps, and when it's all quiet, you go and sleep at his feet, and he'll tell you what to do. And so he does. In the middle of the night, he wakes up and here's Ruth, and he's shook, and. She, she, when people read that, it sounds like she is propositioning him sexually. No, it's worse than that. She's asking him to do his kinsman's part. Uh, uh, spread your skirt over me is an expression. You need to understand the culture. Uh, hems were where the badge of authority resided. We think of, of authority as stripes on a sleeve or on a shoulder. In ancient Israel, it was on the border of your garment. That's when David cuts the hem of Saul's garment. He's cutting his genealogy away. Uh, the hem, when the woman, uh, the issue of blood, if she can touch the hem of Christ, her mind is, that's where his authority is. See, the hem's where the authority. When God speaks in Isaiah, God speaks of, of Israel, putting his skirt over Israel, putting his authority and protection over her. She asks him to put his skirt over her. People misunderstand that without the background. What she's asking him to do is marry her to raise up seed because he's a kinsman. And he says, and he's flattered. He's flattered and she does it. But unfortunately, there is someone, a closer kinsman, that he has to clear the way for first. And so she, she, wants, she wants him to fulfill the role of a goel. But there's a nearer kinsman in the way. And when you get through the story, see, by now you've got this love story going and she wants to be married. And when he says there's a nearer kinsman, you know, that's, that's a cloud. That's your plot problem. What's going to happen here? We'll get to that. And what he, what he does do, he gives her six measures of, of meal barley, to take back to Naomi. You and I miss that, but when she gets back, Naomi recognizes what that means. She says, that means he won't rest until this is resolved. See, the six days God worked and the seventh he rested, there's six, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a code, a code that Naomi picks up and understands when she gets home. So that leads to chapter 4, the big deal. Boaz confronts this guy that's the nearer kinsman. And Naomi has a property, uh, land, and, he, and they're looking for someone to redeem it. He says, I'll redeem it. See, at this point, by the way, if you get in the real picture here, you've got a picture, you know, um, Boaz is sort of a Charlton Heston or a Harrison Ford kind of guy. The nearer kinsman is probably, what, Danny DeVita or something, see? Um, and he said, I'm willing to do it. Boaz says, wait a minute, uh, whoever takes that has to take all the obligation, you'd have to take Ruth as a bride. Well, he can't do that because it'll mar his own inheritance, so he passes. And he passes by giving... Uh, uh, the symbol of his passing is to give, take a shoe and give it to, to Boaz. And of course, to him it's a disgrace, but to Boaz it's a marriage license. See? And so he, that's, that's the big win, because Boaz now, the road is clear for him to take Ruth as a bride. And so the, the guy yields his shoe is to re relieve the obligation. Boaz steps up. He purchases the land for Naomi, and he purchases, that's the word used, Ruth as a bride, a Gentile bride. She's a Moabitess, right? Do you, see, do you see the symbolism starting to unfold here? You haven't seen the half of it. Okay. At the big celebration where Ruth and, and uh, Bo uh, Boaz are being married, somebody says, may your house be like Perez. Now, if you don't know your story, it sounds like a toast. Isn't that great? But if you've read Genesis 38, you know what a sordid thing the birth of Perez was. That's where Tamar gets Judah to... On a, on a, uh, on, uh, not realizing it, have incest with her to have a child. Remember that whole thing. And uh, uh, Perez is the illegitimate son of Tamar. 
Here they may your house be like Perez. You, if that, someone said that to you, you'd say, same to you, fella, you know. No, it's actually a strange prophecy buried in Ruth here. Let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, the seed of which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. You need to know in Deuteronomy 23, it says, A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the Lord. In other words, it takes generation, ten generations to purge the illegitimacy, if you will. Well, if you go through here and you see the Perez, Hezron, Ram, Abinadab, Nashon, Solomon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, and David. Uh, you've got ten generations. In fact, you may recall that Boaz, Obed, Jesse, and David were encrypted in Genesis 38 behind the text. We looked at that then. But we have here um, the tenth generation after Perez is David. So here we have a prophecy in the book of Ruth. This is in the time of Judges of David being the king. Second time this comes up. It came up in Genesis 38, but it also comes up here. And uh, this is in the time of the Judges. Interesting little thing. Now there's more to it. The Goel Kinsman Redeemer course, the kinsman had to, be a, he had to be a kinsman. He had to be able to perform. He has to be willing to perform. Those are two different things. And he has to be, assume all the obligations. And Jesus Christ is our kinsman. He became man and dwelt among us. He has to be able to perform. He could perform because he's sinless on our behalf. He had to be willing, and he was. He loved us that much. And he had to assume all of our obligations, which he did. So that's why this thing is fitting the model here. Boaz is the Lord of the harvest. He's the kinsman redeemer. What's Naomi? She's Israel. Because of his redemption, Israel's returned to the land, to her land. And Ruth, of course, is the Gentile bride. You wonder, how can Boaz, a good, self-respecting Israeli leader, take on a Gentile bride? You have to know who Boaz's mother was. His mother was Rahab, the harlot of Jericho. So no wonder he had to see what the law could not do, grace can. Some other observations. In order to bring Ruth to Naomi, Naomi had to be exiled from her land. Now that's kind of interesting. Think that through. What the law could not do, grace did. It was illegal to marry a Moabite. But uh, our kinsman redeemer did. And Ruth does not replace Naomi. They have different destinies. Ruth learns of Boaz's ways through Naomi, but Naomi meets Boaz through Ruth. Think that one through. And no matter how much Boaz loved Ruth, he had to wait for her move. Jesus is waiting for your move. Do you receive him? Do you accept him? So that he can be your kinsman redeemer? It's interesting that Boaz, not Ruth, confronts the nearer kinsman. The law required the, 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 the estranged girl to confront the nearer kinsman. No, Boaz did it for her, and he does it for us. He makes intercession for us. It's interesting how much the model fits, and it's also interesting how much the model is twisted to fit the real reality we have. Some final remarks. The book of Ruth turns out to always be read at the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Shavuot. How interesting. The Feast of Shavuot was the birth of the church, and the book of Ruth, in a sense, anticipates the church. And you can't really understand what's going on in Revelation chapter 5, where the Lamb takes the title deed of the earth and takes possession of that which He purchased, unless you understand these things in the book of Ruth. You and I are beneficiaries of a love story that was written in blood on a wooden cross, erected in Judea some 2,000 years ago. The book of Ruth profiles that for us.